This is the Life-Changing Conversations podcast. Thought-provoking, pioneering, provocative, challenging, and intriguing. And that's just Neil Shah. Neil delves into the lives of his eclectic mix of guests. With his probing, curious approach, Neil explores what these ordinary people with extraordinary stories are all about. Discovering what motivates them, how experiences have shaped them, leading them to change the course of their lives. Join us in the conversation. Like, comment, share, and tell us what you think on our LCC Facebook page and here on iTunes. Welcome, everybody, to our next edition of Life Changing Conversations. I'm Neil Shah, your host for today. And I have been looking forward to this conversation we're about to have for quite some time. I initially spoke to Jeff probably a couple of months ago. Um, and we had the pleasure of sharing a platform at a conference. And I have been really excited about getting into this conversation because it's part of our content for National Stress Awareness Day, which is on the 2nd of November, and International Stress Awareness Week, which is the 7th to 11th. And not only do I want to get into Jeff's uh, passion and expertise around well-being, but many other topics and areas that he is uh, passionate about. Who is Jeff? So Jeffrey Parsons, he's the CEO, which is the Chief Empathy Officer. Um, he's a disruptor, a thought leader in the diversity, equality and inclusivity space, and he's a driver of positive change. Um, his list of awards is endless. I'm going to let him share some of that, but I'll just introduce a few of them I can see on the list here. It's one, the LGBT plus inspirational leader at the British LGBT Awards in 2019, featuring in the Pride Power List 2022 as one of the 100 most influential LGBTQ plus people in the UK, published by The Guardian shortlisted for the Corporate Business Role Model Award at the Pink News Awards twice, 2018 and 2022. Three times, 2018, 2019 and 2021, being ranked in the annual list of the top 100 LGBTQ plus executives globally, which is sponsored by the Financial Times and Yahoo Finance. Um, so yeah, we are in good company today. Welcome, Jeff. How are you? <laughs> thank you, Neil. I'm, I'm, I'm very well, thank you. And, and I'm thrilled to be here. How are you? Wonderful. Thanks for asking. Um, I've just had... Well, it was supposed to be four days in Spain, but apparently there was a storm in the UK and none of the flights left. So I've got a bonus day. And interesting, the bonus day was the best day of the trip. The day that I wasn't supposed to be there ended up being the, the highlight of the trip because it was an unexpected day. I couldn't do anything. I was in a hotel, didn't have my laptop with me. So yeah, I, I'm actually feeling pretty good today. A little bit tired, catching up on the things I missed out on yesterday. And unexpected, I think, is a very good word for the moment, because there's a lot of unexpected things going on in the world we find ourselves in. And I think that's part of what I want to discuss today, because depending on your perspective of how you view these experiences and situations that we're facing, they could be, like me, a bonus day away, or it could be a day spent in trauma, anxiety and stress because you've not been able to do what you want to do. And... That's kind of part of what I really want us to be able to, to, to look at today. We find ourselves in a very strange, uncertain, complex and ambiguous time. Mm. No one knows what's going to happen next. It very much feels like a very twisted episode of Black Mirror. And as we were saying before we started recording, you know, walking outside your front door seems to be more fantastic than anything we can find on Netflix. Um, so it's an interesting time to have this conversation for sure. Mm. Uh, but Jeff, do you want to start by just giving us a bit of a background to you? your passions, you know, what you do, what you stand for. Who are you? Who is Jeff? Thank you. Yeah, we're very happy to. Um, so, uh, well, I'm Jeff. Um, my pronouns are he, him. And um, I am, as you rightly said, I'm now the CEO, which I call Chief Empathy Officer, because I think that's empathy is is critical in 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 my view of, of, you know, core leadership qualities that are essential these days. So I'm the CEO, Chief Empathy Officer of the Inclusion Imperative, which is uh, a diversity, equity and inclusion consultancy that I set up earlier this year when I finally decided that 35 years in the world of financial services was was enough. Um, I had spent quite uh, quite a bit of time doing that, as you can as you can hear, um, finishing up um, as a managing de director at Macquarie Group in London. Um, which is a terrific place to work. And um, I spent uh, an awful lot of time there and in my previous role at uh, BNP Paribas, side of desk doing an awful lot of things around diversity, equity and inclusion, and particularly LGBTQ plus inclusion, being a gay man. Um, and that was my 
my gay job, if you like, my day job was actually being manager director on the trading floor, uh, working on on structured products and and large uh, in, in infrastructure projects, both within the bank and outward facing for things like Brexit and and uh, and uh, different benchmark changes, etc. So, you know, I was I was doing wearing two fairly senior hats, but you know, my my gay job was increasingly. Um, encroaching on my day job and it, it was clear that that's where my passions lay and after you know all that time I thought well you know when am I going to do this if not now then when and earlier this year I decided that it was time uh, on the back of basically taking uh, Macquarie my old shop to number one in the annual Stonewall rankings um, I thought well you know there can't be a, a better mic drop moment than that so uh, I decided that having installed a a good couple of guys as my successors and in in uh, in in the LGBTQ plus network as chairs. It was time for me to move on, set up my own consultancy, and see what I can do to help other organisations on their inclusion journeys. Because my particular belief is that commercial organisations have the reach, the influence, the wherewithal, you know, the infrastructure to make a real difference in this space. I mean, the, the, what you were just referring to, Neil, with the issues that may, you know, elected officials seem to be confronted by and, and inability to actually um, stick around for very long. And when they do, you know, actually then perform, it, it underscores my view that, you know, more durable and more useful in this space are people who like commercial organizations, who people actually recognize and listen to. They have brand value. They have great influence. They've got great resources and great reach. And if we get them completely sorted out in this space they're going to be fabulous champions of change and, and real agents of progress that we need globally um, and goodness only knows that we, we we do need it right now so that's me that's how i got to where i am i've really only been doing this on a dedicated basis for about six months now um but it's uh, it's been super interesting and, and i love any opportunity like this to 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 share with the world my passion so, uh, and thank you firstly for giving us a bit more of a background on, on yourself and your journey so far. So you talk about diversity, e equity and inclusion. Now, you know, I hear various iterations of kind of the, the, this sentiment of diversity, equality, equity, inclusivity, etc. And I find that depending on who you're talking to, you'll get a different perspective on what that actually means. I believe I've got a sense of what it means. I'd really love to get a sense from you. What does diversity, equity and inclusion mean to you? Uh, I I could talk about that for a very long time, but I will try to keep it brief. Um, I mean, they, they are a continuum. I mean, in my view, uh, you've got people, some people tack on, on, on a B at the end of that as well, as meaning belonging. So you often see a D-E-I-B. But basically, it's 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 a sequence of things which I think need to be seen together. You can't have one, any one without the other. You can't have inclusion without diversity because it is the diverse perspectives that you want to be inclusive of. So by definition, you need the D, which is why I think D comes first. Um, but you, if you have diversity and all you care about is, is just making, you know, filling your, your, uh, your, your roles or, or the seats at your, at your table with people who look diverse, but aren't necessarily really diverse in their thinking and perspectives and experience and, and, you know, life journeys, then all you're doing is really, going for optics. Um, so, you know, it is very important to say, well, you know, if you're looking at diversity, also look at inclusion and mix it in. I mean, you know, back in the distant past when Liz Truss was prime minister, you know, there was quite a lot of celebration about the fact that she had what looked like a very diverse cabinet. But actually, if you scratch the surface, there wasn't a huge amount of diversity there. They were all coming from the same background and singing the same song. And, you know, it was in a way a great win that, that, that the it, you know, it looked very diverse, but it stopped at the D. There was no real attempt at the I. There was no attempt to bring in a wider perspective on anything. So that's that's key. You know, you do need to see the two together. And you'll see all sorts of um, research and reports out there, which proves that, you know, if you just do diversity, it's worse than doing nothing because you're putting together a whole bunch of people who really cannot you know, relate to each other. They don't understand each other. You need to overlay that with the efforts to, to bring their their differences into a synergistic value. So they actually do kind of play off of each other and create, you know, value in the white space more than the sum of its parts. And that's what inclusion is really all about. And uh, once you've got that, then it becomes much better than just than, than homogeneity. Um, and even if you've got a very much, apparently much better qualified homogeneous team, they'll be outperformed by a, a diverse and inclusive team just because of the, the synergy and the difference of 
perspectives, the celebration of of that difference that 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 brings, and that's been proven by goodness knows how many pieces of research. So that's for me is is what it's all about. It's it's saying okay, it's very important to be diverse, but if you stop at diversity, you're, you're not even doing half of it. You're actually probably doing yourself a detriment. You need to see the whole picture, and what you really want is diversity of thought and diversity of perspective, and bring it in on a valued, celebrated basis. Uh, and, and Jeff, I love that because we do live in a world uh, rapidly becoming less diverse. Uh, and, and again, this is my opinion. I'm not saying I'm right or wrong, but this is just what I'm observing. That if you challenge the accepted cultural narrative on any subject, you are leaving yourself open to attack. You are leaving yourself open to being cancelled. And it's not just other people cancelling. I find people cancelling themselves because <laughs> they are afraid of going against the, the the tide. And this is strange because this is, for, for me, going against what good society should look like, where we're able to come with different ideas, different perspectives, different views. We don't have to agree, but it's through that we're able to have debate, dis discussion, discourse, dialogue, and find the best way of doing things. And it seems exactly as you said, that we seem to be moving away from that. And the people that do dare love them or hate them, agree with them or disagree with them, the likes of the Joe Rogans and the Russell Brands and you know various other characters, you know, the ones that come to mind over the last couple of years who dared to ask questions or to challenge or to offer a counter narrative seem to face a lot of flack. I found that myself just by daring to raise issues around mental health and how some of the decisions and, and, and strategies that were employed were actually creating more issues than they were resolving. Yeah. A great example would be, for example, in Japan in 2020, more people committed suicide in one month than died from COVID the whole year. There was no mention, no strategy, no action taken to the people that were losing their lives to mental health even yeah, though they yeah. vastly, vastly outnumbered the ones that were dying for COVID, yet the narrative was, this is the only thing that's of value. So it disturbs me when we find ourselves in a situation where certain issues, certain lives lost have political or commercial value. So they seem to get more attention. And there are other lives which are easy to protect and, and save, which don't seem to get that. And this is really where, you know, you raise a really important point around the fact that we need to explore all things, even the things that we not, might not find comfortable or, or easy to discuss. Yeah, absolutely. And, and this, this is a particular um, mantra of mine. Um, you know, I, 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 I genuinely believe that we need much more engagement across the battlefields, if you like. And, and unfortunately, social media is, is really... You know, encourage people to sort of retreat into different camps. Most of us spend our life, you know, I mean, if you ask the average population, you know, of member of the population before social media took over, I think most people would, would sit within the sort of middle third of, of the political spectrum on, on most issues. You know, you've got people in the extremes who won't move, but that, that middle third, you know, is a fairly fluid and, and sort of, you know, quote unquote, reasonable space for most people to be in. But the effect of largely of social media has been to, to push those camps further apart just because, if you're exposed to social media, you tend to hear just because of the algorithms out there, you tend to hear much more of the, you know, what you're thinking and, and you're not you're not hearing too much of the opposite view. And I'm, I'm, you and I are going to be victims of this as much as anyone else, you know, because, you know, we, we have our views, but I'm hoping that I've at least got the ability to filter that out. But it's 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 unhealthy. In, it has its value. Let's be honest. I mean, it is very important for us all to feel that sense of, of, of belonging and being part of something. And so being part of of of. A, a team for want of a, a better word like you know a, a thought a movement where you you find there's a sympathy of what you want to ex how you feel how you want to express you know that's how humans work we're, we're tribal we want to be in that sort of feeling so it has value and any sort of club if you like has a value in, in that regard the danger of clubs is they're in groups versus out groups and you know if you're stopping putting a boundary anywhere then you're excluding a whole bunch of people and the the danger with all of this is that you know you effectively say you know i'm right they're wrong and you don't engage and engagement is essential you know we do need to if we're going to progress you know we basically need to say well you know why don't you agree with me can we find a middle ground that's that's you know the art of compromise right um and i often use the what i call the abc technique this is agree before challenging and you try to have a conversation with someone who doesn't agree with you find something about what they're saying, which you can at least agree part of, and then agree with them, but then try to move it, challenge them and move one degree back in your direction and see if you can't, 
create some sort of, of consensus and get them to see things from your perspective rather than just all shouting at a distance like like people on you know lobbing missiles at each other on, on twitter in the lgbtq plus community which you'll see i'm passionate about we're seeing this played out very much now in the, around the issue of trans inclusion because you know they're someone like me who is very very trans inclusive is very polarized you know and very, very polarizing for an awful lot of people who are as they call them, gender critical, and particularly the LGB alliance, et cetera, who, you know, don't believe that the T belongs with the LGB. And, you know, effectively, there's there's a lot of cancel culture happening in both directions, in fairness, people just saying, you know, you're wrong. I don't believe in cancel culture. I, I believe we've got to engage. And it's it's challenging your boundaries, but we have to reach out in the way I was saying before to try to find the people whose views you can actually address and you know there won't, won't be all of them but you have a few an opportunity to engage with a few and try to get them across the cusp to understand how you think yeah otherwise we've got you know no opportunity rewind the clock 30 odd years back to section 28 in the uk i mean that was the most odious piece of legislation ever but it had one benefit which was to bring the community together we had a common enemy we all needed to fight it we don't necessarily have quite that thing right now. God forbid something like that should ever come back. But you can see what I mean. It had the effect of unifying you know, the community. And, and the week after next is, is Solidarity Week um, and a perfect opportunity for people to reach out across boundaries and say, look, this is an opportunity for us to actually think about doing something which is doesn't appear to be in my own vested interest, but I want to understand more how you understand, you know, see the world and, and not just sit there taking pot shots of people who are you know, of a different view on Twitter or something like that and looking at what J.K. Rowling is saying. So long answer, short question, sorry, but it's very, very, it's very important to me. You know, the whole polarity um, or the, the the tendency to go towards polarity, I think is 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 very dangerous if we keep going the way we're going. Oh, absolutely. And we're seeing it across the board on so many different subjects in so many different areas, whether it be political, commercial, socioeconomic, and the, the polarity is extreme. And I, I love your approach. It's very closely aligned to our approach, which is, and instead of and instead of but so it's yeah. like you believe this but and what i'm saying everything after the but is negating everything that you've shared or if jeff you're uh-huh. a really great person but that black shirt is really annoying me right which what, what i'm saying is i don't think you're a great person because the but has just negated what came before it and is adding to so rather than automatically looking at how do we create a division or a separation between the two perspectives how do we add to it it's okay you see the world like this and i would like to offer my perspective and this way that we're creating the opportunity for empathy yeah Um, now the one thing that i think we also need to be too careful of or sorry need to be extremely careful of in this moment is going too far in the right direction which we've seen happening a lot um that you go far enough in any right, any direction, you get to the place of toxicity. You know, you, know, we, uh, you, you may have come across concepts like toxic positivity or toxic empathy. Um, and it's well-meaning people going in a particular direction, which feels like the right direction, and they go too far. And actually, they create more challenges. And I think this is one of the things that we've seen happen quite a lot over the last few years. And it's how, how do we temper that? You know, the personal story I'll give you is, to put this into perspective, it's a very simple one to get your head around this notion is losing a loved one. I, I lost uh, one of my best friends a few months ago uh, due to mental health. It was a really challenging time for me. And when you lose someone, you're offered three kind of narratives from the people that engage with you. One is sympathy, which is like, oh, there, there, Neil, it's going to be okay. Be strong. You'll get through. It's all going to be fine. And, you know, what, what I'm sharing here is actually true in many circumstances. This is, you know, some, some of the things that we saw during the Black Lives Matter where people are offering sympathy or, you know, so, so, some, some of the things that we've seen particularly around sort of trans issues, et cetera, that you describe, and people offering sympathy. Oh, yeah, you know, it's going to be fine. Be strong. It's all going to be fine. It's like, well, that doesn't help. Actually, you know, when people say that to me, it made me feel worse because I don't feel fine right now. I can't see how this is ever going to get better. I don't feel particularly strong. You're actually invalidating how I feel right now by telling me how I should feel. Yeah. And then there were the people that would offer you sympathy, uh, sorry, empathy, which is try to understand where you are. It's like, oh, I have no clue what you're going through. And do you want to talk about it? Or maybe ask some questions or I'm able to offer you my shoulder or an ear. If you want to talk, you want to listen, which was great because they weren't expecting anything from me. They were just wanting to understand where I was and what I could do, what they could do to support me. But then you get the people that would offer what I would describe as toxic empathy. 
And mm-hmm. as I said, like this, this idea of toxicity can pretty much cover most well-intentioned uh, approaches. And toxic empathy, where you know people be on the phone or I meet them in person, and they go, "Oh, Neil, oh, I can't imagine what you're going through. It must be awful." And then they literally burst into tears and they're having a meltdown about my loss. Now, obviously, they may have known my friend, but their reaction now made it about them, not about me. Does that make sense? And I've seen this happen in so many subject areas. People that are not directly affected by the issue have gone so far into what they describe as empathy. You've actually taken attention away from the actual subject itself and the victims or the people directly affected by the subject. And again, across many subject areas, I've seen this happening. And it's like, you're not helping here. You're actually taking the focus away on what we do actually need to do some work around. And this is actually fascinating because, you know, when you were talking, that's the first thing that came to mind is how do we really ensure that, you know, in both ends, one is like you kind of made it about you because you don't know what to say. So you're kind of just off in platitudes. And the other end of the spectrum, you're trying to show that you care, but you've gone so far, you've actually made it about you again. And yep. so we can say focused on the things that we need to address. I see this happening with television presenters. I see this happening with politicians. I see this happening with people in position of power. I see this happening all across social media. The latest issue is I stand with Ukraine or whatever, whatever it might be today. Who knows what it is today? But and on that issue, it's not that we don't care about what's happening there. I actually work directly with people in Ukraine and Poland, the countries that are directly affected by that. They are not interested in people putting on a flag on their social media to show they're good people. They're actually thinking about how are you guys helping us with the challenges that we're facing? And it's just like, well, this is the issue of the day. I'm going to show I'm a good person by standing with, you know, trans issues, Black Lives Matter, whatever. It's like, literally, they will change their banner every week, depending on what is the the, the, the fashionable statement at the moment. That's not helping. That yeah. is just another example of what we're talking about here. And I really want to get your thoughts on that, because I think there are a lot of well-intentioned, well-meaning people out there that want to do the right thing, but inadvertently, they don't realise they're actually adding to the challenge and creating more disparity. They're creating more division because they're not adding to, they're, cre- they're creating fractures. Uh, it's super interesting. I mean, the point you made about it, but, but being inadvertent, I think is important to make, you know, distinction because... When is it inadvertent? At least there is one well intention there. So you can actually get in there. But I mean, there are, you know, everybody knows about the sort of cynical approach of, of, of basically jumping on a particular bandwagon, looking, you know, trying to milk a particular cause. And, you know, we get this in, in the LGBTQ movement every year with, with you know, the sudden plethora of rainbow washing that happens. You know, I, I mean, I'm never going to be upset about seeing, you know, a, a logo turning into a, into a rainbow because it's, 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 boosting awareness and and this is absolutely crucial you know i would love it if that actually was backed up by by something other than just you know cynical you know pink pound chasing you know and and for an awful lot of organizations it is and increasingly i think it is um but there is a cynicism uh, you know where it's far from inadvertent where you are chasing particular cause and that tends to happen you know for a limited uh populace of organizations which you know I'm not going to name any names at this particular point. It's inappropriate, but that's not what you're talking about. I mean, that's that's where people are deliberately seeking it, you know, to, to to take advantage of a particular cause for for their own gain. Where it's inadvertent is, you know, it's where role modeling, if you like, can step in. It, you know, you can go a little too far to sort of, you know, say, I can, I really, you know, I'm I'm ambushing your particular cause because, you know, I I'm. I'm you know, taking the bleeding heart thing, all it does is create cynicism. People sort of like, you know, you know, what is your what is your issue du jour? You know, and and you know, it's like crying wolf effectively, just saying, you know, you do need to actually step up and do something meaningful rather than just, you know, sticking the latest thing on on your on your Twitter feed and saying I'm sympathetic towards that. You're going to create a pushback, and you're going to get the cynicism where, you know, you get a you know the, the whole sort of uh, attack on being woke. You know, because, you know, that's that's what people are going to say is all you're do, trying to do is just be you know politically correct all the time. You're not actually helping. You're just sort of like sending up platitudes and, and, and get the latest you know bumper sticker for for, you know, whatever cause it is that you have managed to find that particular day. It's I mean, we want people to do something which is meaningful. So, you know, it's it, I'm it, it's a variation for me between what I see as allyship and advocacy. I'm never going to be upset about somebody being an ally, um, as in they are stepping up beyond something which is their own vested interest and they are supporting somebody else. 
but if it, it tends to be quite passive for an awful lot of people to think, okay, I'm able to just be, I'll make a statement of my support, but I won't do anything more. It's variation of what you're saying. It's like, you know, it's, I'll put a, a statement out there, something about Black Lives Matter, for example, but I'm not going to do anything. Advocacy is one step beyond that, where you actually do do something real and meaningful. And it takes away any possibility that you can be criticized for just jumping on a particular bandwagon. So, I mean, to the point you were just making around situations in, in parts of the world where it's uh, it, it's horrendous, not for, for you know an awful lot of the population, but looking back in my own particular um, sphere of influence, if you like, LGBTQ+, I mean, I there are millions of charities which help in that particular space. Millions is an exaggeration. There are hundreds of charities in that particular space. And I'm, you know, work with an awful lot of them and I'm trustee of, of, of one of them as well. So it's very important to me to, to be seen to be doing something more than just saying, this isn't this terrible? You know, we all know it's terrible. Do something about it. So it's very important, I think, to, to make that distinction between um, people who are doing it inadvertently and people who are doing it for cynical reasons. People who are doing it for allyship. Uh, or do, just doing what they consider they, their max for allyship and those who are going to step up uh, to be an advocate. Too much of the former in either case is just going to create the cynicism, um, which gives people the opportunity to take pot shots and say, you, all you guys are doing are, are, are jumping on the latest woke bandwagon. We're just going to shut you down. And eventually we are going to be facing a, a pushback. And we, we get it. There are plenty of pushbacks right now coming from the fact that, you know, perhaps there is just too much of, of this, this wave of, of messaging without really people understanding why we, we care about it and what we expect them to do. You know, because if it always is just, you know, a, a message, you know, all you're doing is making people feel bad or trying to make people feel bad. The way the antidote to that is you can make yourself feel better if you do something. And this is what you'd like you to do. So it's a call to action. It's moving from allyship to advocacy. It's moving out of cynicism into action. It's moving away from being inadvertent to being deliberate. Those sorts of things are very important, but people need direction. And this was, this is a common problem when people are allies. Allies generally don't know what you want them to do. You need to give them help. Um, and that's true across the whole spectrum. You know, I'm, I'm an ally to every other minority characteristic that there is. I try to make an effort to find out how I can be an, uh, an active ally, as in an advocate. But for most people, it gets crowded out by their day job, their other, you know, the other stuff happening in their life. So, you know, it's very difficult for them to know what to do. So we have to help them. And if we do that, then they can become much more deliberate and, and the, you know, take away this, this possibility of becoming, as you said, toxic in this space. And that's why I wanted to have this conversation. I think it's really important because exactly as you said, there are a lot of people out there that, that, that don't know what they should do. And their information and their education tends to come from social media and mainstream media, which, okay. as we know, is not necessarily giving us a true and reflective picture of what's going on in the world. And mm -hmm. I guess the lesson I've learned is if I want to know how I can help and be of service to a particular issue that has touched my heart, is to actually open up debate, discussion and discourse with the people that are directly affected by it. If I want to know what I can do to help people in Ukraine, I need to talk to people that are out there and are having to live through this. If I want to help people that were affected, particularly during you know the George Floyd incident and the Black Lives Matter issues, is actually speak to people that are directly affected and have lived experience. If I wanted to understand better how to support people in the trans community is to reach out because I didn't have many people in my network from, from a trans background. <laughs> So I, I wasn't ever exposed to what that must be like. I had to actually actively take steps to reach out to people and say, look, I really want to know how I can show up in a way that is being part of the solution, not part of the problem, but I don't understand. And actually that's scary for a lot of people yeah. to actually reach out and, and, and ask, particularly when it's very far outside your comfort zone. And also if you already have formed strong views based on your life experience or the information you've been exposed to. But I found that's really the only way. When it, it is, I mean, you know, you, what you're just describing is, is the advocacy that we would love people to, to, you know, to be exhibiting day to day. And this is going back to, to my point around and the, the value of the, the, the corporate space, if you like, the corporate voice, the, the organizational infrastructure, which can help in this regard. I mean, most decent sized organizations should be a whole across the whole DNI space because they understand the value of, of psychological safety and belonging. And there will be people who are, as a result, creating a groundswell of, of energy and safe spaces within organizations where people can go to have the sort of conversations which help them learn about a particular characteristic. 
uh, or, or and or they can be pointed towards resources and other people where that that information resides and they can go and learn so it's so important that that, that people have that experience and and have places to go so organizations should be you know maximizing that should be empowering the people who have the lived experience but not only the people who have lived experience they should also be empowering the, the people who are going to advocate for them across the board and intersectionally so it, it isn't just for me to talk about being a gay man other people can speak on my behalf and i want them to as well as it, it provided they they've made the effort to understand as much as they can they can empathize as much as they possibly can about my my life you know and, that, and my experience at work uh in in that case so you know, I do want people to sort of think about that, you know, in, in a way which is very multilateral, you know, think beyond your own your own characteristics. I mean, we're all intersectional. We've all got multiple characteristics. I've got endless layers of privilege. I'm a very lucky man. You know, I'm, I'm sort of white, cis, middle-aged, middle-class, you know, endless layers of privilege. I just happen to be a gay man. Not everybody is like that. Peel back the individual layers and there are lots of intersectionalities which you know, help you to, to relate to people beyond your own, you know, what you might think about as your, your particular vested characteristic. And that just helps conversations happen. And conversations are great learning tools. So if you want to learn about something like this, find a way to, to approach somebody who knows more about it, as I got lived experience or is is more learned in this area, and, and find a way to, to, to learn more about that particular characteristic or what the, the the issue is that you're you're you feel an, a, you know, a lack of knowledge about it's it's very important to, to to have the confidence to do that and organizations should be creating that the the sense of psychological safety where that sort of conversation is is welcome and at the safe spaces as well for people within the community to, to feel that they can get involved and you know like whether it's about being gay or whether it's having any other minority ethnicity or or even just gender, for example, or maybe suffering from mental health issues, for example. I mean, is there a safe space where you can address that, either overlaid intersectionally with one of those characteristics or just of itself? I'm stressed at the moment. You know, what, what can, can we talk? Those sorts of things are, are, are things that organizations are almost uniquely placed I genuinely believe that those are the agents of change externally, but they're, they're also massive agents of change internally for the people that actually work there. And you know that the, these safe spaces and psychological safe, psychologically safe environments are where they can start to facilitate the conversations. Absolutely, and I think you know everything that that, that we've been discussing for the last fifteen minutes or so. Uh, I can sum up with an analogy that I often offer which is, let's say there's a bunch of us, uh, you know, we've been sat together in a meeting, it gets to lunchtime, we're very hungry. Um, and you, you you let us know that there's a really fantastic Italian pizza restaurant not too far away, uh, and we should go there. Now, you rush off early to try and get us a table, have to walk through a little foresty patch, because obviously you live in Canada, and we've all come to visit you. So you're walking through the little foresty patch, and you come across a wishing well you never noticed before. We're going to uh, follow, uh, follow you on while we gather all our stuff. As you look in the wishing well, you find um, a $200 note in, in the bottom. I don't know if that exists, but let's just say that they, they do. And there's a $200 note in the bottom of the wishing well. And you're like, ah, oh, left my wallet back in the office. Maybe I could just reach in and grab that and I'll put it back later. But as you reach in, you fall into the wishing well. So now you're kind of stuck in this wishing well. It's like, you know, 10 foot down. You're looking up thinking, bloody hell, what am I, how am I going to get out of it? And the rest of us have followed. And as we as we're following, we, we stumble across the wishing well and you shouting out uh, from, from the bottom of it for, for a bit of help. Sympathy would be that we stand at the top of the well and say, oh, Jeff, that's terrible. I can't believe you're stuck in the well. It feels so bad for you. Don't worry, mate. Be strong. You'll get through this. It'll be fine. And then we carry on walking, going off to the pizza restaurant, leaving you stuck in the bottom of the well. Now, at this point, you're thinking, you haven't helped at all. You've just made me feel worse about my situation. Yeah. Empathy would be where we stop and we ask questions and we discuss and we explore. So how did you end up in there? What was it look like from where you are? Talk, talk to us about what you can see, what you can feel, what you can experience. Let's put our heads together and see if we can find a solution to your challenge, right? That for me would be the ideal. Toxic empathy is where all 10 of us jump in the world with you. Now yeah. you've got a bigger problem. You're like, you you fatties have got in here. I can't bloody breathe. It was bad enough when I was stuck here by myself. Now there's 10 of us in it. Now, as much as that sounds ridiculous, I see a lot of that going on at the moment of people jumping in the well. 
and actually adding to the issue, not actually helping. And I think this is where, you know, everything you describe when you're talking about the, the diversity, equity, inclusivity, about creating the safe spaces to have those conversations, to understand each other, to, you know, as Mohammed Gandhi said, if you want to know what it's like to be a man, walk a mile in his shoes. I think we mm. need to get better at walking in each other's shoes because yeah. there's a lot of people's shoes. I have no idea what it's like to walk in, but I want to know. I want to understand because it will help me to grow. And yeah, I think exactly. that. I mean, that's that's what empathy, you know, I mean, most people think of empathy as trying to walk in someone else's shoes. I mean, I think it's important to kind of acknowledge the fact that you can never fully understand somebody else's experience. You can, you just, it, it's really about openness to learning and, and meaningful listening and trying to do something positive and constructive as a result of that, um, which isn't jumping the world. That's not positive or constructive. Absolutely. But, you know, I mean, I, mean, I, I think just the fact that I called myself the chief, em chief empathy officer, you know, that E is so critical to, to me in, in, in the, the, the process of, of what I consider leadership. And by leadership, I mean, anybody who's got a sphere of influence or someone in their shadow, you don't need to be the CEO. You just need to have some, a voice that people will listen to at work. And that might just be a colleague, for example. Empathy is critical in that regard. It's one of one of the the, the main tenets, I think, of, of of constructive leadership. And you know, I, I often, you know, to, to your point around thinking about putting yourself in someone else's shoes, I often cite the the example of, of um, Aretha Franklin's song "Respect," which everybody knows and everybody sings along to without thinking what the lyrics are. Um, so everybody knows the line R E S P E C T. But if you think what the next line is, that's what really you know where you should be focusing. It's Find out what it means to me. Now, what she's basically saying there is, you need to understand how I define respect. I want you to think about my position here, my lived experience, what I've actually gone through, what it's like for me rocking up into the office every day as somebody who doesn't fit in a particular, you know, the corporate mold, for example. So, you know, to, to real empathy is to try to see the experience of the person as best you can from their perspective, I mean, and you know it can never be perfect. We, we understand all of that. That allyship is is never the same as the, the lived experience, but you can do your best. And it's it's really, really important that you do. And you try to do it in a way which is constructive. Um, and it's it's not toxic. It's not over the top. It's, it doesn't tear it down. It certainly doesn't stop the sympathy because all that does is effectively belittle you. It just makes you feel bad about yourself. Mm -hmm. um, but if you go too far in the opposite direction, you say, well, you know, all you're going to do is create cynicism anyway, apart, apart from the practical problems of all trying to clamber out of a well, you know, you're going to get a lot of pushback from people who are saying, well, look, you know, don't be ridiculous. This is just, you know, you're over the top here. So you need to find that, that, you know, that Goldilocks zone in the middle, which is really should be the, the obvious place to go anyway, is I, I, you know, I, I will never understand, but I stand, you know, I can, I will, you know, I, I will never be able to be you, but I will do my best to understand as much as I can. So, you know, that phrase went around when when the George Floyd was murdered. I mean, you know, I, I had to say to my friends, I, I signed up to that. I, I know I will never understand, but I will stand. And that's very, very important. And that that's the critical issue for me is um, I, I will stand, but I won't just stand and sympathize. I will stand and do something to the extent I can. No, I love that. And Thank you for sharing the Aretha, Aretha Franklin quote there. And, you know, RESPCT, find out what it means to me. I've heard that a hundred times, but you've shed a different light on it. And that, that's that's really powerful. I appreciate it. I'm literally going to go back and listen to that song as soon as we finish this. <laughs> um, Jeff, our podcast is called Life Changing Conversations. And it's those moments in time that, that, that became some of the moments that changed the course of your life. I guess really my next question for you is, What's Jeff's origin story? Oh, okay. Um, well, I'm pretty old now, so it's, I'm going back a long time. Um, but it's 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 been. I'm, I'm saying for, for some people, there's always a light there's a light bulb moment. For me, it was really uh, a, a progression, really, because um, it, I kind of probably always knew, for example, that I was gay, but I never dealt with it when I was younger because I didn't come from an, an environment where that was accepted. Um, uh, it was quite a blokey environment. And I, I took myself into a professional career in the city of London, where in, this was the 1980s. It certainly wasn't accepted then, uh, particularly living under the shadow of what was then the, age, the AIDS crisis. Um, and, you know, a Thatcher government that was far from sympathetic to the cause and Section 28 was ever anyway. So, you know, you were just, the last thing you're going to do was start bringing that to, to work. Um, and, you know, I just kept my head down. But, you know, 
it was it occurred to me very very clearly quickly even though i hadn't accepted my own sexuality at that particular point and it took me half my career to do so it was very clear to me that i cared about um diversity and inclusion just inherently anyway and maybe this came from the fact that i grew up in east london as a kid and you know i went to school in in Walthamstow, which was not the trendy place that it is now it was pretty rough and you know i went to a state a state uh, a state uh, primary school and most of my friends were of color and we just you know we all got on and it, it didn't you know it mattered not one bit to us that you know we might have looked a bit different we, we just you know we're all in this together and it was great we were all great, great great mates and i loved that the fact that you know there was this wonderful sort of melting pot of everything and then you know fast forward a few years and i'm starting my first job in the city and i look around at the 15 people who joined the the, the accounting practice that i start i worked at at piccadilly on on day one and there were 15 people who pretty much looked like me there were no women and no people of color it were 15 white cis men well apparently and, and you know i mean that just made no sense to me even then i remember thinking this is absurd you know like come on how on earth can we have an environment like this and it, it, it was just these sort of moments subsequent in my career when I, I i subsequently moved to hong kong and worked for one of the big four accounting firms and uh fairly obviously didn't fit into what was a really dickensian environment in that in that place and i i was found myself shouting for women's rights because you know friends of mine i had a lot of female friends and they were not allowed to even wear um trousers they you know pantsuits or anything like that they had to wear a dress this was the 1990s we're not talking about ancient history here and i just thought this was appalling you know i mean how can we have such a ridiculous division like this prescribed and i got myself a bit of a reputation for being you know i would have been called woke these days but it was somewhat less flattering in those days and you know i also had a bit of a penchant for for dressing a little bit maybe a little bit more um flamboyantly than the average accountant would it was it was the 90s and i wore I had, one of my suits was was olive green which was not, you know, normal in that accounting firm. So I got a bit of a reputation, and it fairly became fairly clear to me that you know I was uh, I had a different mindset to most of these people, and and it, it was something that progressively through my career I, I decided that I, I wasn't going to keep quiet about, and I was going to champion the particular cause. And you know, towards the very end, you know, not the very end of my career, the second half of my career, when I was sufficiently senior that I, I had a, a voice and wasn't worried about my my career progression, and and just became more vocal about it. It, it became um, much more passionate and a day-to-day -day thing for me to be doing. Um, and even to, in, in my, my last position at Macquarie, which is an incredible place to work and, and the most inclusive environment you could anyone could ever want to, to work in. But when I started there nine years ago, it was that. But I noticed that the, you know, the people who were actively involved in, you know, for example, the, the employment, employee resource groups and the, the Pride Network uh, in particular, you know, only sort of older people like myself it was nobody young was, was stepping up and it was just because you know somebody needed to do more actively about this you couldn't just let it happen and even in an environment where it was very it was very very clear that being yourself was okay and more than okay at Macquarie it, you know nobody had actually explicitly said that it was just so kind of taken for granted um, so stuff needs to happen and stuff needs to be said and it, that that for me was a not a light bulb moment, if you like, but an increasing awareness that actually this sort of stuff can't just be left to take care of itself. You do need to make sure that it is explicitly known that this matters. And this is something which is not just even tolerated or accepted. It's actually celebrated. You see the value in difference. You see the value in, in, in diversity and inclusion and the synergy that, 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 that comes from that. Um, so for me, that was, you know, a, a growing progression, if you like, and, and just an, an awareness that these things um are problematic and you know even when they're not problematic they still need to be you know accentuated otherwise people will just find ways to either ignore them or get them crowded out of the you know they'll get crowded out of their, their awareness in their day and it will just slip down everyone's agenda no absolutely and thank you thank you for giving us that background and obviously that you, you know all of your experiences have led you to setting up the uh, inclusion imperative I'd love to hear a little bit more about, you know, what what, what does that stand for? What 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 is the, the vision of the inclusion imperative? What are you seeing on the ground? What are the the, the common challenges that the the people you're working with are facing? So just give us a sense of sort of, you know, what's the inclusion imperative about, and what what have you learned and and are observing through the work that you do? Yeah, um, well, as I say, I mean, it, at heart, it's just it's a diversity, equity, and inclusion consultancy. But I thought long and hard about what to call it because I, I you know I could have just called it Jeff Parsons Consulting, for example, but um, I want to, I, I, this is so important, you know, inclusion is, is crucial. Uh, and there is, for me, 
imperative is exactly what it is. I mean, it is, is this is not a nice to have anymore. I mean, I think organizations are, are, are sort of aware of that increasingly. Um, so I, I thought, well, you know, I can't think of a better title than the inclusion imperative. It is something which people need to understand is, is, is not is not discretionary anymore you 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 need you need this and uh, you know on the ground i'm seeing um a, a lot of pos positive things as well as a lot of negative things i mean you know people do understand increasingly that you know the world is challenged right now and i'm not even just talking about the political situation so you know, things like environmental si situation is 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 awful so the esg um movement if you can call it that is 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 growing in everyone's awareness and people do understand that this is something that that the average person the consumer is concerned about and you know under the s in the esg you know all of the social aspects of it including the the, the parts i really care around about you know human resource inclusion and in my case in particular lgbtq plus inclusion you know these things are, are critical and i'm seeing an awful lot of really good noises around that um uh, against that you'll see you know that the counterbalancing the the, the the degrees of cynicism that you get from uh, you know people being being uh, dismissed as woke um and the reticence of organizations to get into to get into spaces which might be seen to be political you know like it's you know do we do we want to do that because it might polarize some of our consumer base for example so it's a constant kind of you know balancing act between you know people who are driving towards where we want them to be sort of really embracing ESG and particularly the S in this particular space um, versus you know, the sort of natural pushback um, of, of some people who just don't get this and say, well, you know, this, this shouldn't be what organizations should care about. We're here to make money. Um, uh, Jeff, just, just for a point of clarification for those that don't know, could you tell us what ESG stands for? Yeah, ESG, sorry, I should have said that. That's environmental, social and governance. Um, so um, it's they're, they're bracketed together for, you know, convenience if you like and they don't always mean the same thing but people are very aware that you know corporates have a, a very important role to play uh in this space um so governance is, is is critical you know people need to be um appropriate corporate citizens it's not you know you, you don't go around doing dodgy things and and you know trading in 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 arms and taking bribes and things like that governance is critical that should have been fundamental anyway but you know growing awareness of the e and, and and the s as well the environmental you know importance of being a responsible environmental citizen you know is is, is you know the world is 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 suffering and and that's fairly clear that that needs that corporates need to step up in that space and social i mean so it's about the human aspects um and as i said at the very start i mean you know organizations have clout they have power they have reached their resources people will listen to them and in this particular space being very very good around esg and in my case, particularly, I, I care about the S, if you like, is, is critical. They are the agents of change that we need in, in this particular space. So, Jeff, we were talking about before we started, um, I think the analogy that you use, it feels like we're in an episode of The Muppets. And my perspective was we're in an episode of Black Mirror. So let's say we've got a new crossover show, which is um, Black Muppets. Or No, that, that probably is going to sound completely wrong. Or... Uh, <laughs> Muppet Mirrors, whatever you want to call it. But, you, you know, it, it, whatever it is, it's a fantastical caricature version of, of reality, yet it's actually happening. What can be done? How do we make things better? You know, from your experience, how do we start to overcome some of the challenges that we're facing that are coming from the place of polarity, of disharmony, of friction, of fracture, of profanity of, of conflict rather than the coming together to overcome the challenge we're facing. So, you know, how do you personally cope with some of the challenges we're facing and what advice would you give to those listening today to start to be part of the solution, not part of the problem? I mean, I, I, I could talk about that for a long time, but I mean, it, how I deal with things is, you know, find find that solidarity that I was referring to earlier. I mean, you know, I say the week after next is, uh, or maybe it's next week actually, is is Solidarity Week, um, uh, and that that's a good opportunity to think beyond your space and reach out. Um, but you know, you're never alone in, in in the space, and I think that's that's a, a, you know, the first thing people tend to think about when they find themselves, you know, not in in the in crowd. Um, you know, is that you know, I'm on my own. I, I, no one's ever been through this and of course that's fundamentally not the case but you need to find that safe space that 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 camaraderie that that solidarity will but your voice can be heard you can feel safe to express yourself and then you can build from there 
Now, the, the danger in that, as, as I said, is, you know, it, that could easily become too comfortable and you just retreat into that and you don't reach out. But if you can build from there, you can say, well, look, this is how I kind of build up my own self-confidence, my self-awareness, that, that my a sense of my own worth and validity, and then use that as a launching pad externally. It's it's absolutely essential um, and, and really, really great grounding. So that's how I do it, you know, and I, I've been through that time when, you know, as I've described some of the previous work environments, they were well, actually, I mean, in several cases, they were toxic and, you know, it's, it's, it's not a nice place to be. And you need to find a way to, to cope with that. Your, your mental well-being is, is, is fundamentally at stake at that point. You know, it's, it's not, you know, a nice to have that, you know, you don't, don't, don't that, that sort of Sunday night feeling before the, you know, go to work on Monday morning, if you're dreading it, you know, there's there's a clue there that you know, basically your mental well well being is being challenged just by the prospect of going to work, and when you're there, it's probably even worse. So you know, you've got to find ways to to cope with that. Um, you know, mental well being is a you know is a particular, um, you know, it's something I care about enormously in and out of the workspace. But you know, in my previous job at Macquarie, I was formally designated as a mental well being ambassador um, for for LGBTQ plus uh, matters. So People could come and talk to me. They they did anyway because I was the chair of the network, but they 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 were formally sanctioned to come talk to me should they need to talk about anything in this space which was impacting their mental well being, um, and that happened a lot. I mean, a lot of people just said, "Can we just go for a coffee? I just need a chat." That mattered to me hugely, and it ma it matters to me, you know, to this day. You know, I I mentioned to you off air. I mean, I, you know, being LGBTQ plus, you know, I, I know I'm stressing that in particular. It, it's with every characteristic, but being LGBTQ plus. Stonewall has some you know, some character uh, some statistics which show how that characteristic can affect your mental well-being. You know, more than half of LGBTQ plus people in the last year have, have suffered from depression. Over sixty percent have suffered from anxiety. You know, kids who are you know eighteen to twenty-four, um, one one in eight of kids in eighteen to twenty-four have considered or contemplated and actually done something about you know taking their own life just you know in in that space. You know, it, it's it's horrendous. The stats are are dreadful. And, you know, the, find, find the tools, you know, I'm, I'm now a member of an advisory board of a new app, which is just being launched, um, which is really designed by the LGBTQ plus community to help the mental health, basically give basic tools to the people who are LGBTQ plus, such as, you know, you know, helping you go, mind mapping yourself through, through wellness so that you can understand who you are. That's, that's, that's not a plug. I just think that this, these are very important things that people find tools which will help them. Because the you know well-being is going to be challenged every day at, at, at work um, if you're not if you're not comfortable you know you're, you're unable to find that sense of belonging and your psychological safety and you know that's not that's not a healthy place to be and you do need to find ways to to improve that and if it's external tools if it's finding safe spaces internally it's finding safe spaces externally finding that camaraderie the allyship you know do something about it you know don't don't sit and suffer in silence there is always somewhere you can go and there's always someone who will help so uh, i've been through it and i know people will, will will do this and live through this every single day so Absolutely. you know people like me are there to help and and, and you said uh, you know in the workplace i think it's beyond the workplace because obviously just oh, sure. living life is challenging at the moment it's you, you know there's so much uncertainty whether it's political economic uh, um you, you know environmentally as, as we've talked about throughout our discussion there are so many things that are happening yeah. every day and also the access to information is such that 24 7 you've got information being pumped at you inevitably that's likely to create stress fear and anxiety yeah Why it's very designed and i think that gives us a nice segue to kind of you know the last bit of our conversation is um Yes, obviously, as I started uh, by mentioning that we've got Stress Awareness Day coming up in November and International Stress Awareness Week. But actually, one of the things I really want to spend a, a few moments talking about with you is our new campaign, which is hashtag Choose Hope. And um, this was launched in my friend's name, as, as mentioned earlier, and Dan, he passed it a few months ago. He lost hope. He found himself lost in the darkness. And no matter how many of us tried to reach him and bring some sparks of light into back, back into his life, he just wasn't able to see and connect with it. I wish his story was uncommon um, because of the work that I do. I know it's a very common story. In fact, my journey into mental health started with exactly the same experience. I was lucky I failed in my attempt. Um, you know, when we've arrived at a point, it's the main cause of death for a man under the age of 45 in weird countries. That's not being mean to any countries. It's an acronym that stands for Western Educated Industrialized Rich Democratic Countries. Yep. 
that is the main cause of death. As you've already mentioned in the uh, the 18 to 29 uh, category uh, demographic grouping, it's also rapidly becoming one of the main causes of loss of life. When you consider the, the US military, for example, you know, people that actually put their lives on the line for their country, four times as many people in, in, in active service in the US military die as a result of their own hand than of active combat. So it's like, you, you know, when you look at those kind of statistics and you put them into perspective, I mentioned the one about Japan earlier, it's scary we've got to the point where the most vulnerable members of our society are not being protected. They're not being supported. We're not reaching them. And there is a cultural vaccine. It's called love, compassion, empathy. It's removing the guilt, the shame, and the stigma associated with these subjects, making it okay to have these discussions. Putting your hand up and saying you're struggling is not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of strength. Absolutely. Weak no. people pretend like everything's okay. Strong people put their hand up and say, you know what, I need some help here. Because it takes a big person to be able to admit that they're struggling. We launched this campaign because as... as We've discussed on many occasions throughout our discussion today, we are living in a world that is constantly reminding you of death, doom, death, devastation, disease, destruction, war, etc. You only need to scroll through the the, 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 the the newspapers of, you know, turn on Fox, CNN, whatever, you know, scroll through social media and you'll find many examples of how troubled our world is. I remember when I was a kid, and you know, I think you're a little bit older than me, and you'll probably remember a time when you turn the television on, you'd watch the news, and what was the last item on the news story? It's always a good news story, right? It's always an upbeat, funny, positive story. They stopped doing that. Yeah. I never figured out why. Why not finish on a positive note? Why not keep with that trend where, you know, yes, these are the bad things going on, but good things happen too. Now yeah. it's just bad things and more bad things. And then you've got more, you know, like more narrative and more dissection of the bad things. It's like, well, if you base your opinion on the world around us, on the things you see on television, on the things you see on social media, the things you find online, you think that this is a pretty challenging and devastating world we live in. Jeff, yeah. you and I both know that is not true. There is amazing, wonderful things happening around us every single day. There is examples of incredible humans do, human beings doing things to make the world a better place, of showing love, of compassion, of empathy. Why do we not hear those stories? Why are they not as common as the ones of doom and devastation and destruction? We launched this campaign to offer a counter-narrative because people do need to be exposed to a balanced perspective. And as yeah. you start to hear stories, whether that's the, the dog pulling the goat out of the raging river or something like that, we've all watched those YouTubes and it gives you that moment. It's like, oh, that's amazing, that's beautiful. Or you, you know, the, the, the man jumping into the icy lake to fish the, the cat out or whatever. It's, if we start to hear those stories, it doesn't just change how you feel. Because people that have hope, when I read the data on hope, the studies and the research, I was blown away because people that have hope are happier, healthier. They live longer. They're financially better off. They tend to do better in their careers and their relationships. I was like, what? This is not some hippie, woo-woo, left-field law of attraction stuff. It's because when you have hope, your health can get better. You're more likely to get your ass off the sofa and go for a run or go to the gym. If you feel your relationships are going to get better, you might actually put in the effort to make that happen. If you believe and have hope, that you can progress in your career, you might push yourself a little bit more or put yourself up for the promotion or you know participate in that project that might actually get you seen. And right now, sadly, for all of the reasons we've described, there are a lot of people around us that are losing hope. Yeah. And it, you know, we need to stop waiting for the people in positions of authority who are too busy playing out the Muppet show to fix this. It's down to us. We are the ones we've been waiting for. Don't wait for someone else to give us the story and the feedback. Let's create this ourselves. Let's create a groundswell movement where people are saying, no, we deserve to live in a world, not the one that you're telling us to live in, but the world we choose to live in. And I choose to live in the world that John Lennon sang about in the song Imagine. Yeah. And I genuinely believe if enough of us believe in that vision, we can create that very quickly. Malcolm Gladwell taught us this in the book, The Tipping Point. If enough people buy into perspective, very quickly it becomes the accepted. Absolutely. And Jeff, firstly, I'd love to recruit you to be a flag bearer and a champion for our Choose Hope campaign. And I'd like to get your thoughts and feedback on what we're trying to achieve here and how this could be an important part of us creating real meaningful change. Well, well hope is, you know, an absolutely essential ingredient. And, and I, I take my hat off to you, you know, for, for starting a, you know, a campaign around, around this, because it's, 
it's so often just lost in in, in implicit. You know, hope is seen as a sort of an, 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 a sort of byproduct of of everything you're doing. Actually, it needs to be the end product. You need to aim for it, right? And going back to your you know your point around what why why don't we see some more of this sort of stuff? I mean, yes, you can go on YouTube and find your you know fuzzy cat videos, etc. But most people, you know, if you watch the news, as you said, it used to finish on a and you know on a good thing. But I nearly became a journalist, and and you know part of the reason I didn't become a journalist in the end is I didn't like the fact that basically if you know the phrase no news is good news flip it around in journalism good news is no news you know it's actually really not doesn't sell you know you 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 need that kind of so that's actually part of the reason i didn't do it and i have an awful lot of journalist friends so um, i do apologize if any of them are going to hear this but you know there is always a a sensational headline to, to to chase and the trouble is not unlike what we were saying earlier around you know the whole sort of toxic debates and pushing people on social media, it, it tends to be all sensationalized and sort of everything's writ large. And that can be really a problematic, you know, thing because, you know, it, it just, it doesn't sell papers or, or, you know, you know, get more clicks if you, if you do good stuff. Um, so we have to be aware of that. And, you know, the antidote, as you said to that, the vaccine for that is, 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 is basically all of the stuff which gives hope, but I, I, I specifically use that phrase. Hope isn't something which just a, a, appears. You have to give people hope. Hope is something which is created by action. Um, very few people, I mean, yes, you can sit there and say, yes, I'm hopeful and do nothing about it. You know, you buy a lottery ticket. I'm hopeful I'm going to win it. But, you know, a, a sense of hope can come from people helping you and reaching out to you or making it clear that you can reach out to them. Not be too passive about it. None of this just my door is always open, but it's up to you to make that first step reach out to people and this is something which i think any space is very good at but i you know going back to my my point earlier around i think you know organizations corporate spaces are particularly well placed to do because they have infrastructure which can, can lend itself to this people like myself previously being you know, an active world mental well-being ambassador so it, you can come and talk to me i i i'm i'm not i'm not just sitting there waiting i'm actually reaching out doing a whole bunch of stuff in my capacity to, to try to give you hope that you, you can actually be yourself in this space and it is okay. It's actually not okay. It's better than okay. Those sorts of things are very, very important. It, it can be anything, you know, as I mentioned in my charity work earlier that, that, that I do, you know, it, it doesn't have to be as extreme as that, but it is important to, to do something to help people have hope, to give them hope because, you know, it's, you know, the statistics we were talking about earlier are horrendous and, and particularly in the, the LGBTQ plus community, the stigma associated with it, it's still now you know it's beggar's belief that it really is but the the levels of homophobic biphobic transphobic behavior language you know this isn't just going to go away and and you know there there seems to be a sort of belief that if we just leave this alone long enough all of the the sort of bigoted old older people will die off and it'll all be great well i mean i'm sorry that isn't necessarily going to be the case take a look around the world have a look at you know places in, in eastern europe where you've got you know, extreme and fairly young right-wing organizations who are anything but, you know, on message with this. So you do need to basically find ways to to actively combat that and give people hope that they are not alone. And, and you know, you know, organizations can do that, individuals can do that, but it's something which we shouldn't just leave to become somebody else's problem. Hope is something you need to give people by doing something positive to help them. Absolutely. And that's where the, you know, the hashtag choose hope is, is for us to all start sharing stories of hope and perspective of shining that light, being the spark that gives someone the perspective and, 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 and the, the opportunity to start seeing that they are no longer in darkness because that story you share or the message you offer could be enough Absolutely. to be that spark for someone. Um, so yeah, th- 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 that's a call to action for everybody. If you have uh, something that could potentially uplift someone or, or or give them something to aim towards please use the, ha- the hashtag choose hashtag choose hope um you can find more information on choosehope.org.uk jeff where can people find out more about you and the work that you do if they want to follow you or connect with you what could they do uh, I'd, I'd love people to do that so please do come and find me go to my website um which is just it's the inclusion imperative so it's just www.theinclusionimperative.com uh, and you can find me there and you can reach out to me through the contacts page there. There's a lot more information there about, about the sort of things that I do. And there's quite a few uh, things on the resource page where you can give a fl- get a flavor of the sort of things that uh, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm doing. 
Um, and you can also find me, I'm very active on LinkedIn. Um, just So it's Jeffrey Parsons, but it is a weird spelling. So I, I, that is correctly spelled. It's G-E-F-F-R-Y-E. Um, there's a long, boring story about my, my father's eccentricities behind that, which I won't bother you with today. But, um, you know, so do find me on, on, on LinkedIn mainly. I'm not on Twitter because I find it too toxic, frankly. Um, uh, so I do find that LinkedIn is particularly uh, a better space. So there or on my, my website. And, you know, I'm, I'm here to help uh, organizations as much as I can through, you know, any, any sort of consultancy, but it might just be speaking, it might be coaching, mentoring, some training, some really getting into the weeds of policies, practices, system, systemic uh, behaviors. Um, and, you know, I believe the organizations and the individuals who lead them and lead them at all levels are, are critical in this space. So I'd be very happy to, to have an exploratory conversation with anyone and uh, uh, look forward to, to any opportunity to do so. Fantastic. We'll make sure all the links and details of your social channels are in the show notes. Last, most important question from me, Jeff, is if you're a plate of food, what would you be and why? Oh, my goodness. If I'm a plate of food, what would I be and why? That's a, that's a, I love, that's, that's the sort of interview question which just throws you off. Well, my favorite food is Thai food. Um, and I, I lived in Asia for a long time. Um, and my husband is, is, uh, is from Hong Kong. We used to go to Thailand a lot. So, as soon as you mentioned food, I'm thinking Thai food, and I would probably just be a green curry because I love the I love the flavor of it. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I think I, I think I'd be something something which is um, going to leave you with a nice aftertaste. That's probably what I want. So I'd actually probably go say give give you a dish of chocolate ice cream. Uh, I'd be a chocolate ice cream, so that you know you you're, you're probably going to enjoy the process of of, of consuming it, and it's going to leave you with a good aftertaste. Love that. Uh, Jeff, it's been a real pleasure. I could continue talking to you for hours. Uh, sadly, we have run out of time, but it, you know, I'd, I'd love to get you back on again in the future uh, and, and share more of your words of wisdom. Good luck with all the work you're doing. It's making a real difference. And um, it, it's been a real honor to have you here with, with us today. Thank you so much, Neil. I really appreciate the opportunity. You've been listening to the Life Changing Conversations podcast with Neil Shah. This podcast was produced by Change Your World Events in collaboration with the Stress Management Society. Like, comment and share and keep the conversation going. Hashtag LCC podcast.